0: Amen. Acts chapter 4, verse 23. That's where we pick it up this morning. And verse 23 says, and being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that's in them, who by the mouth of your servant David has said, why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord, against his Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose purpose determined before to be done. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to us, grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by by stretching out your hand to heal and the signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit And they spoke the word of God with boldness. So this morning, we're returning to our verse-by-verse Bible study in the book of Acts. Again, I'm excited to be back in it with you. And you might recall in our last few studies in Acts, we saw Peter and John. uh, They were headed off to a prayer meeting. When they were asked, they saw this uh, lame man begging, and, and he asked them for alms. He was sitting there at the beautiful gate. And it says that Peter, fixing his eyes on him, said to him, of course, you know the story. Uh, Silver and gold have uh, have I none, but what I do have I given to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And Peter reaches down. He takes him by the right hand. He lifted him up. And immediately the lame man's feet and ankles bones were strengthened. So the lame man, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with Peter and John. Walking, leaping, and praising God. And you recall that when Peter saw this large group of people gathering together, he seized that opportunity and he began to preach Jesus Christ to the people. Right? He told them that Christ was crucified. Jesus was crucified. But God raised him from the dead. And it was by faith in the name of the resurrected Jesus that this uh, lame man was made whole. And he shared with them the need of repentance And that repentance leading to conversion would result in the blotting out of sins and that repentance would then allow times of refreshing to come in from the presence of the Lord. Well, preaching in the name of the resurrected Jesus, you know, got Peter and John in a little bit of hot water, right? They were arrested. They were put into uh, custody. They were put into, uh, you know, a holding cell maybe. And the following day, When they were questioned by the Sanhedrin, Peter began to share Christ with the rulers uh, of Israel. Peter being filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, and that filling was evident by his boldness. Peter said first uh, in Acts 4, verse 9 through 12, you can look down at it and read it with me. Acts 4, 9 through 12 Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, Peter, he tells these Sadducees, you know, who were the liberal religious leaders of Israel at the time, you know, it's you guys, you guys rejected Jesus Christ, right? And he quotes Psalm 118, verse 22, saying that Jesus was the chief cornerstone rejected. By you, the builders. And that salvation is found in his name alone. And as you can probably imagine, you know, that didn't go over very well with the leaders, you know, the religious leaders in the nation of Israel. But it put the religious leaders in a little bit of a pickle because there was no denying that a miracle had been done. I mean, this lame man whom everyone knew was lame, is now walking around. And not only is he walking around, but he's walking and leaping and praising God. So the leaders command Peter and John to no longer speak in the name of Jesus. And if that wasn't enough, they also command Peter and John to teach no one anything in the name of Jesus. And to that, Peter says, Acts 4, 19 and 20, you just got to love it, Peter and John, They say, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God. I mean, hey, you guys judge. For we cannot but speak the things we have seen and heard. And at that, the religious leaders threatened Peter and John, and they let them go. And that's where we pick up our story, verse 23. And being let go, they went to their own companions. The NIV translates it that... uh, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people. Okay? So, you know, I'd like to ask you right off the bat, just a very simple question this morning. Everybody listening online. You know, who are your people? Who are your people? You know, who do you turn to when you're in crisis? Who do you turn to when you're in need of help? You know, uh, I've been thinking this entire last week of of the guys that I turn to when I'm facing a crisis. You know, God has blessed me. I'm, I have such a, a wonderful group of gr- guys surrounding me, pastors with a great amount of uh, experience in ministry, as well as a, a really wonderful group of young guys that I've discipled over the years who, you know, they're all they're all godly men now. They're all grown and they have families of their own. But these are the guys that I turn to when I'm in crisis right? These are the guys that I turn to knowing that they have my back. And these are the guys that I know they love me. And they love me knowing me, right? They know me and they still love me. You know, these are the guys I know will carry me and my family uh, on their hearts. And these are guys that I know will pray for me, and they'll encourage me in the Word. Honestly, That's the vision I have for our church, that we would be that way. You know, ever since I've I've come and I've taken over the the leadership role here in the church, that's been my prayer. You know, I've been praying and asking the Lord to make us a loving church. You know, I want to be part of a loving church. And, and, uh, you know, a church that's close-knit, you know, a church that's quick to pray for one another. Uh, a church that thinks the best of one another. You know, and I pray that we'd be a church where each person would enjoy community. You know, that each of us would have a group of godly people surrounding us, people that, that know you, people that love you, people that you can turn to, people that will not only love you, but will stand by you because they know and love you. You know, people, which, and this is uncommon, I think, in churches today. I pray that we would have people surrounding us that you're not afraid to just be real with, just to be yourself, right? How we need that as a church. My prayer is that we would be a church on mission with one another that would have a passion and a vision for community. Right and and I know this morning you know what I'm preaching to the choir. You guys are to hear. I know I'm preaching to the choir, but I want to be part of a church that is committed to fellowship in Christ Jesus. That's my. That's what I want. You know. um, You know that uh, you know there there are people in our little fellowship. Maybe you don't know this, but there are people in our little fellowship that are that are hurting. You know, they don't have close friends in the church to turn to. Uh, You know, those deep, loving Christian friendships where they can feel safe, sharing the trials that they're facing. You know, there's people in our church that they don't have someone within our fellowship whom they can run to and just receive prayer. Someone to, to, that's in their corner, taking the time to see how they're doing, reaching out to them, encouraging them in the word, you know, standing with them in a time of crisis. You know, God intends for His church to be a place where each of us are loved and cared for. You know, God desires His church to be compassionate and patient with one another. Right? And I pray that, that we all would be on mission, sharing the same vision, the vision of a loving fellowship. And I pray that, that we would be reaching out to each other. You know, uh, we, w- we would be uh, reaching out, it would be something that we would be passionate about. You know, the culture of this church is up to us to create. Right now, we, we've been offered a tremendous blessing. The culture of this church is up to us to create. And what I mean by that is because we're small, hey, guess what? We don't have the luxury of someone else carrying the ball for us. You know, we're at the core of creating that culture. We all need to be involved in making our church a place where fe- people can feel welcomed and loved. You know, and and... Right now, I'm talking to the people online primarily, but if you live in the Truckee Tahoe area and you're watching online regularly, instead of coming to church, you need to know we need you. We need you as a body. We need you to catch the vision of being in community and being part of community for others. Peter and John, after being threatened while facing a crisis and experiencing difficulties and hardship, they're able to go to their people, right? They go to their people in order to pray together and receive encouragement and receive comfort. And one of the the benefits is it increased solidarity. That's one of the benefits for us as we're in community is there will be an increased solidarity. When a person is in community with brothers and sisters surrounding them in love, the result is increased unity, right? When a marriage is in crisis, when a family is in crisis, when a job is in crisis, we need to be able to go to our people and gather around each other and pray like we see here in the book of Acts, right? The the mutual support is so needed in the church today. And uh, it's something that's needed in our church. And I pray that, again, that we would be people who would be quick to gather around those in our body that are hurting, right? Quick to gather together and pray, calling out to God, interceding for one another. Quick to stand with brothers and sisters in our church who are in crisis, comforting them, encouraging them. You know, those who are are going through it, just standing by them, you know, I pray that we would be a people that would be quick to get our eyes on God and stand in the gap for other people, quick to fast and pray for one another. We have such a beautiful example here in Acts chapter 4. One of the things that I've learned in more than two and a half decades of ministry is I need to be someone who's quick to pray and continue to pray until the Lord moves. You know, the Lord is constantly reminding me to be someone who says, hey, let's pray. Or can I pray for you? Uh, I can't remember whether it was Hal or steve when they went into the hospital. I think it was Hal when he first went into the hospital uh, before we went to Hungary last year. I think it was Hal. Uh, But it was the first time that I met him in the hospital uh, when he went in. Um, Again, honestly, I can't remember if it was Hal or Steve-O. But what I remember is, man, when I left that first time, when I left their their hospital room, man, I felt so bad afterwards. I felt so bad afterwards because I left without praying. And, uh, you know... uh, I didn't. I didn't ask them if I could pray for him. I didn't say, "Hey, can I pray for you?" And I can remember. I don't remember who it was, but I can remember getting on the phone when I got home and calling Gail or or uh, Monique and just apologizing for not praying. You know, for for not being there and praying for them. I want to be someone who's quick to pray with my brothers and sisters or who, who are going through it. You know, I want to be someone whom the Lord can use. I want to be someone who people know they can count on. I want to be, you know, that person who's always saying, hey, uh, let's stop right now and pray. Let's all join hands together. Let's surround our brother or sister and just lay hands on them right now. Let's stop uh, right now and take it to the Lord in prayer and see what He'll do. And you know what? It's my prayer for us as a church that that we would be that voice in the circle that God can use to encourage those that are present. Hey, let's stop right now and just, just pray for that right now. Just lift it up to God right now. You know, it's actually what we're seeing here in these verses that we're looking at today. They were quick to pray. You know, Lord, would you please give us ears to hear your voice this morning. Help us to respond to your spirit this morning. Verse 23, and being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, when they heard that Peter and John were severely threatened by the authorities, commanded not to speak to anyone, commanded not to teach anyone in the name of Jesus anymore, the religious leaders basically told them that they could no longer even bring up the name of Jesus. So what do they do? What do they do in the face of that crisis? What should we do when when we're faced with a situation like that? Verse 24. So when they had heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that's in them. You know, in Acts chapter 2, we learned when the Holy Spirit was poured out, there on the day of Pentecost. You know, what's known as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus called it in Acts 1-5. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. But after the Spirit was poured out upon the disciples there in Acts chapter 2, we read that they all prayed at the same time. So it's interesting, Acts chapter 2, that's the place where biblically, man... Biblically, there's a precedent set for all to pray aloud at the same time. Praying in the Spirit out loud at the same time. It's found there in Acts chapter 2. But here we read, and it's very specific, verse 24. It says, they raise their voice to God. And in the Greek, if you're taking notes this morning, the word voice, it's singular. So here, Bible scholars tell us that they prayed with one voice, one at a time. Right? This community of God prayed one at a time. They raised their voice singular, praying out loud, and all of them agreeing with one another the way Jesus taught us to pray. When when we pray together, we're not supposed to zone out when someone else is praying. You know, that's <laughs> just... They're going to pray for five minutes. It's just a quick opportunity to take a nap. No. And we shouldn't keep praying on and on and on and on for five minutes. So people will zone out. Right? Well, we we shouldn't preach. You know, sometimes you get in a prayer meeting and somebody begins to pray. And they're not praying. They're preaching. Just trying to get their point across. That's not what we should do because that causes people to zone out also. But Jesus said, when you pray agreeing together, whatever you ask for uh, here on earth will be done for you in heaven. It's very powerful when we pray together, when we gather together in prayer, each of us actively engaged in prayer in agreement regarding uh, whatever it is that's being lifted up to the throne of grace. So here they all raised their voice and prayed aloud. You know, there are a lot of people who are not comfortable praying aloud in a group. They're just not comfortable praying aloud in public. You know, I have friends that are they're such godly men. When they pray, they pray so eloquently. And, I'm, and you know, sometimes I'm just so embarrassed to even open my mouth because I'm not very eloquent. You know, I say silly stuff and you know, I think silly things and it comes out. But you know what? I remind myself that I'm praying to my God who desires to hear my voice. It blesses God to hear my voice. I mean, can you imagine that? Can you imagine my voice is a blessing to God? So is yours. So is yours. It blesses God to hear your voice. It blesses him when we pray together in agreement. And how can I agree with you in prayer if you don't pray aloud? But Gary, you don't understand. I can't pray out loud. No, you can. No, I can't. Yes, you can. You can. Don't let whatever it is, whether it's insecurity, whether it's pride, uh, whether, you know, it's fear of what others may think, don't let it rob God of the joy that it brings to him to hear your voice. Don't let it rob others of the chance to enter into prayer together with you, in agreement with you, asking God to move mightily in our midst. Right? I've seen people who've never come to a prayer meeting, never prayed out loud before, you know, and they come to a prayer meeting and I've seen them come, they pray out loud for the very first time, and I've seen God answer their prayers in the most amazing ways. You know what? I just I just wanted to encourage everyone today. You know, even with that encouragement, if you don't feel comfortable praying out loud, you know, you can still come and pray and be in agreement. Um, you know, I was involved in ministry early on at Calvary Chapel Corvallis. When we, when uh, Rob took over the church, I was there uh, that first day. There was 12 people in the church. And, uh, you know, we were a mobile church back in the day. We started out in a senior center. We, as we grew, we moved into high school. We were a mobile church for many years. And I can remember when we got to be about 800 people, uh, you know, we, we decided— That after after worship, we would ask the people just to turn their chairs around and get in small groups of, you know, 6 to 10. And just take the next 10, 15 minutes and just pray for the church. Pray for one another. And you know what? We lost over 200 people overnight. Because they weren't comfortable praying in a group. They weren't comfortable praying out loud with other believers. You know, some people would even wait in their car in the parking lot until the teaching began and then they would come into church. You know, I was so surprised by it. When we gather together to prayer, you don't have to feel uh, uncomfortable praying, right? You're not praying to be heard by other people. You're praying to be heard by your Father in heaven. You know, I can remember a story of Bill Moyer. Bill Moyer, if you don't know, he was the press secretary for uh, Lyndon B. Johnson. Well, at lunch one time, uh, President Johnson asked Bill Moyer to say grace over their meal. And so, uh, you know, Bill Moyer, he prayed aloud but quietly for their meal. And Lyndon Johnson, you know, he, he shouts out a little abrupt, a little rough. He shouts out and says, I can't hear you. And Bill Moyer said, very respectfully, he said, I wasn't speaking to you, Mr. President. And you know what? That's always been with me. That's who we're talking to. We're talking to God. Who cares what other people think when I pray? I'm pouring my heart out to my Father in heaven. No one should feel uncomfortable praying out loud to their father because, you know, you're praying to your father. You know, no one should judge anyone when they pray because they're not talking to you. And even if a person still feels uncomfortable praying al- aloud, man, you can still come and pray quietly in agreement with those that are praying. You know, each of us can learn to pray aloud. It's like everything else. You know, it just takes a little practice. But again, if you don't join us when we gather together to prayer, it's hard to develop that discipline of praying aloud in a group. Oh, don't worry, Gary. You know what? Uh, I don't have a problem praying out loud. Great. Super duper. You know? But let me lovingly ask you if that's true. Lovingly. If that's true then where are you when we gather together to pray? I, I believe the Lord desires greatly that his people meet together and pray. And when we do, God's gonna move in mighty ways, in ways that we've never imagined before. You know, I'd encourage you to pick up the book. If you've never read it, pick it up. If you have read it, get it and read it again. Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire by Jim Cimbala. Uh, It's a story of the Brooklyn Tabernacle and how God restored that church, right? Uh, It was a broken down church, you know, when a new pastor came in and took it over. And, uh, you know, he took over the leadership role. And Pastor Jim Sabala got to church praying, and God turned that church around. And now it boasts a membership of over 6,000 people. And you know what? Numbers aren't the issue. It's reaching other people. It's reaching other people. Prayer is more powerful than any of us could ever begin to imagine. And I know I talk a lot about prayer. And I'm not trying to beat up anyone uh, with it, you know, saying, hey, you're not praying enough. Or "Or if you're not praying uh, w- with us, then you're probably not. Pr- you know, that's not on my heart. I talk a lot about prayer Because I know how important it is. And I know the blessing of answered prayer, radically answered prayer. You know, I know uh, that those who gather together and pray are experiencing blessings that others who aren't praying are just missing out on. And it's my heart, it's a pastor's heart, that none of us would miss out on any of the blessings that the Lord has for us. Verse 24, so when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord. Each of us should know that praying together as a church is directly related to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It's the lesson that you cannot miss here in the book of Acts. You know, we also uh, learn that unity, praying in one accord, is directly and unmistakably related to, To the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, creating a greater unity within the church. Acts chapter 1, we see the early church in a prayer meeting for 10 days. They kept on praying. Acts chapter 2, they gathered together to pray. And the Holy Spirit is poured out on them. And you read uh, later in the chapter Acts 2.42. And you know it if you've been in Calvary Chapel for any length of time. They continued steadfastly in the apostle's doctrine and fellowship and breaking in bread and in prayers, right? Or literally, the prayers is what it says in the Greek. And it's speaking of corporate prayer. They gathered together to pray together, and they continued in prayer together. In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John, they're going up to the temple to a prayer meeting, right? They're meeting Messianic believers. They're going to meet other Messianic believers to engage in prayer And it was when they were going up to pray, they meet this lame man who God healed. God moving in power, right? And then you come to Acts chapter 4. You see that as the church prayed in this prayer meeting, we're going to see it. You know what? God moving powerfully. The place where they were meeting, shaken, and they all filled with the Holy Spirit again. And then you come to Acts 12, and there's a prayer meeting going on in John Mark's house. And, and as a result of that prayer meeting, constant prayers, it says, were being lifted up. As a result of that prayer meeting, Peter was released from prison miraculously. Right? Acts chapter 16, you see another prayer meeting. Right? And the result of that prayer meeting is the first church in Europe is planted and then the gospel spreads across Europe. Chapter after chapter, as we piece the events together, we learn that as we gather together to pray, God begins to move. And he moves in radical, unexpected ways. And I believe with all my heart, if we'll catch the vision to pray together, the spirit of God will move in power. You know, He'll move in miraculous ways, in ways that we could never imagine, in ways that we've never seen before. You know, I think that that's the lesson for us, right, that we need to learn is that we need to prioritize praying together as a body, right? If we're going to see God do what He wants to do in our lives, in our church, in our families. And as you look at verse 24, I think that it's instructive for us to understand that the early church prayed in one accord. And in the first five chapters of of the book of Acts, you read five times this phrase that they prayed in one accord. It speaks of unity. Unity is connected to the moving of the Holy Spirit. When the church is divided, when there's factions and schisms within the church, when there's backbiting and gossip, when there's unforgiveness in the church, the spirit of God is quenched. That's what the Bible teaches. And that's why Jesus said in Mark 11, 25, and whenever you stand praying, not just when you stand, but anytime you you pray is what he's talking about. Jesus said, and whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive them. Right? And Paul goes on to say, book after book that Paul writes, he goes on to say that we are to pursue peace with each other. We are to pursue and keep on pursuing peace with others. Finally, Paul, he'd say it this way in Romans 12, verse 18. As much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. You know, truth be told, there are times that people will just refuse to be at peace with you. It's just the way it is. They, But as much as depends upon you, as much as you can possibly be at peace with everyone, be at peace with them. Unity is connected with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Verse 23, and being let go, they went there, to their own companion and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God out loud. And here's the phrase that we were, we were just talking about with one accord. And here's their prayer. It's one of the great prayers of the Bible. They prayed, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. It's one of the great prayers of the Bible. And it's teaching us We've got to get our eyes off off of ourselves. get our eyes off of those things that we're feeling, get our eyes off of, you know, other people. We have to get our eyes off the circumstances that can often eclipse our God. And we need to start our prayers by getting our eyes on God, right? He's the creator. He's the creator. One of the great prayers of the Old Testament involves doing just what we see here in the book of Acts. And, you know, this prayer here is probably, you know, um, inspired by many of the Old Testament prayers, right? The, the, where they started out recognizing the one who they were praying to. The God who's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think. You know, just listen to the prayer of Jeremiah. Jeremiah 32, 17, Jeremiah prays, oh, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. There's nothing too hard for you. I mean, that's what Jeremiah prayed. Getting his eyes on God saying, oh, Lord God, right? You're the maker of heaven and earth. There's nothing too hard for you, Lord. In Isaiah, you hear the same thing, but this time in Isaiah, it's God speaking. He says, Isaiah 42, verse 5 and 6, thus says God the Lord, Jehovah, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread forth the earth and that which comes upon it, who gives breath to the people on it, and spirit to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand. You know what? Maybe that's a word for somebody here this morning. Maybe somebody watching online. Maybe that's a word for you this morning. This is the way we should pray. Getting our eyes on God. God saying, listen. I'm the creator, right? I'm going to walk with you through this situation. I'm going to hold your hand through this. But you have to get your eyes on me. Don't let these things eclipse how great I am. I am the creator. You know, one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament teaches us this very same principle. It's the story of Hezekiah. And I'm sure you know it. I love the story of Hezekiah because the Bible says that there was no one before or after Hezekiah that trusted the Lord more than he did. And I tell you what, that's encouraging. And as we see this trust in God displayed in Hezekiah's life, when he received a letter that was just. Devastating. He received this news that was just so devastating. He gets this letter stating uh, uh, stating that the Assyrians are going to come and destroy Jerusalem. Hezekiah and his army completely outnumbered. And what did Hezekiah do? He did exactly what you and I need to do when we get bad news, when we find ourselves in crisis. And honestly, I've, I've done it countless times. Literally and figuratively. You know, Hezekiah, he goes into the house of the Lord. And what does he do? He just takes that letter and he spreads it out before the Lord. And he said, here, Lord, this is what's going on. You know, he just laid it out before the Lord. Let me read to you Hezekiah's prayer. It's found in Isaiah 37, verses 16 through 17. He says, O Lord of hosts. God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim. You are God, you alone. Of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see and hear all the words of Sennacherib. It was Sennacherib who sent a letter threatening Jerusalem and reproaching our God. Right? And I think it's so instructive for us to see how Hezekiah, this great man of God, what he does in crisis. You know, he goes into the house of the Lord. He laid it out before uh, the Lord. uh, laid out that letter that he received before the Lord. And then he just began to identify God as the one true, all powerful God, the creator who made heaven and earth. And then he began to ask God to move. It's just a wonderful example for us. As we pray, we're to come to God, acknowledging him as our creator, acknowledging him uh, in in all of his splendor, you know, in all of his greatness, in all of his majesty, you know. And and you know, as for Hezekiah, God moved in that story, right? It's one of the great uh, way, uh, it's one of the great prayers seen in all the Old Testament It was a result of Hezekiah's prayer that God moved. It was a prayer that God was pleased to answer. Verse 24, So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord. Probably, again, each of those present, praying out loud one at a time, said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that's in them, who by the mouth of your servant David had said, Now they quote Psalm 2. And before we get into Psalm 2, we want to understand that the early church was such a powerful church because they had the inspired word of God, right? Just look down on it. Verse 25, it says, Who by the mouth of your servant David had said, right? This is the fourth reference to God being the one who spoke through the men who penned the Bible. Fourth reference in the book of Acts. God used the personality of each of those men whom he used to pin the Bible. But it was God who spoke through them to compose and record God's revelation. God's inspired word to man. And we find this fourth reference now in the first four uh, chapters of Acts. And what you see is that the early church believed God's word was inspired. Something that many churches today don't believe. And a result of that, the church today is becoming weaker and weaker because many churches today are moving away from the, the idea that the word of God is inspired by God. You know, I'd be willing to guess there are churches even in this town that don't believe the Bible that we hold in our hands is the inspired Word of God. You know, I'd be willing to guess there are some churches even in our town that explain away portions of the Bible. You know, it doesn't really mean that because it doesn't fit their theology, right? They're thinking that it's just another historical book. It contains, you know, you know just a bunch of things that are outdated, not for us today. And please don't understand, uh, don't misunderstand. Please don't misunderstand. I'm not trying to bag on any church here uh, in, the, in, in our town. I don't know who's teaching what in our town. I'm just letting you know that's the growing trend in many churches today. You know, and it's a sign of the end times in which we're now living. We are living in the end times, Right. But let's look uh, at this early prayer meeting, verse 25. Who by the mouth of your servant David had said, and now they quote Psalm 2. Why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. So as the early church prayed, they quoted scripture. Right? It, it was normal to be in a prayer meeting and, and hear Scripture being quoted as the Holy Spirit brought verses to remembrance. And that's what Jesus taught. The Holy S- Spirit will bring Scripture to our remembrance. And this is why we need to be men and women of the Word. We need to be reading the Bible and being familiar with the Word of God. Because the Holy Spirit can't bring to remembrance something that I haven't read or something that I don't know. But if I read it, if you read it, if you familiarize yourself with the Word of God, then the Lord will use it in your life. So often I hear people say, You know, I read my Bible this morning, and frankly, Gary, you know what? I didn't get anything out of it. But then a day later, a week later, a month later, right, they're talking to someone. And and they say, you know, it says in Ephesians 6, it says. And and, you know, they don't even remember reading Ephesians 6. You know, but that's the Holy Spirit being able to bring it to that person's remembrance in order to share it with other people in the moment. God is able to bring God's Word into the situations and the conversations we have with people. He's able to use you to bring His Word into the prayer meeting at just the right time. And in this verse, quoting Psalm 2, they understood that people and leaders were going to take a stand against God and against Jesus when he returns to the earth. Psalm 2 is prophetic regarding Jesus' return to the earth and the leaders of the, the world taking a stand against the Messiah during that time. But the point behind Psalm 2, the point that they're they're bringing out here is that it's in vain that men stand against the Lord. God's plans and purposes are going to come about. You see it in the book of Revelation, right? Uh, Revelation eleven fifteen. 15. The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Nothing's going to stop that. So as they quote Psalm 2, the Holy Spirit is speaking to them, right? That this was normal. Rebellious man is going to take a stand against God and against Jesus Christ. And we can count on that occurring too. And actually, if you go back to Psalm 2 in verse 4, it says that God's sitting on his throne in heaven and he's laughing at these men. I mean, it's one of the few times you see God laughing. He's laughing at these men and these leaders who are gathered together against him. I mean, it is laughable to think that they're going to somehow fight with God and prevail. I mean, it's a ridiculous to entertain such notions. And the counsel of Psalm 2, it says, you can look at it later. Therefore, this is the counsel. You should be wise and you should serve the Lord with fear. You ought to fear God. You should serve and reverence God, uh, revere God in fear, Not fighting against him. You ought to rejoice in trembling. And Psalm 2 continues and it ends with kiss the Son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are those who put their trust in him. Calvary Chapel, Truckee, as we put our trust in God, we're blessed. We're blessed. And again, as they prayed, they were reminded of this truth. Someone spoke out this scripture uh, and they were reminded that the people are going to stand against God, stand against the Messiah, against God's sons, against Jesus Christ. And again, as they prayed, they were reminded, verse 27 goes, for truly against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. So when they met and prayed, someone spoke this passage of scripture out and they were encouraged. They were reminded that God's hand, God's purposes are not going to be thwarted by man. And when we pray, When we pray, God's Holy Spirit will bring scriptures to our remembrance in order to give us a heavenly perspective, right? In order to give us a vantage point that's needed to see things correctly. Just like the early church, God wants to remind us that whatever it is that we're facing individually, as couples, married couples, as families, as a church, whatever it is we're facing, whatever it is we're going through, you know, it, it's normal for the Holy Spirit to remind us of a scripture, right? For someone to speak out a scripture uh, that that's, ends up being wisdom that's needed in that moment, you know, uh, it's the vantage point that we need to see God working. Uh, in that which we're facing is what we need to hear at the time, be reminded that God's on His throne and His purposes, His plans for us are going to come to pass. And this is the beauty of corporate prayer, right? For those that, that are involved in the prayer meetings, this is the beauty. And if you don't know how to pray, you know, you're not comfortable praying aloud, Uh, when you come to the prayer meetings and you're engaged in corporate prayer, you can pray quietly, sharing the Lord with one another. And those that know the word a little better are able to share scriptures that often are able to speak the Lord's heart to us. You know, and it's an edifying time. It's an edifying time for you to hear God's heart speaking to you as well as just being part of what the Lord's doing. In, in my mind, I picture in this prayer meeting, one person prayed, then another. All of them being in one accord, being in agreement, verse 29, they pray, Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. You know, as I wrote my notes, I wrote this. Are you willing to notice that they didn't pray to have their circumstances changed? You know, that's a lot of time. That's how we pray. You know, Lord, this is, this is what I'm going through. Change it, please. You know, I, I need things to be a little easier. Or I pray something like, Lord, remove these people from my life. They're difficult. You know, they didn't pray In Acts 4, they didn't pray for their circumstances to change. They didn't pray that their enemies would be removed. They asked God for divine enablement. They asked God for boldness to speak His word. And it's worth noting that this was a prayer that God was pleased to answer. You know, I always want to see and take note of the prayers in the Bible that God was pleased to answer. Right? God was pleased when his people pray this way. It pleases God. Our culture is threatening us more and more, just like the early church was threatened not to speak uh, to anyone about Jesus. You know, um, early this week, I was in a prayer meeting with guys from all around the world. And one of the guys that work with us in South Asia, he told me that they just passed a law in that country uh, that forbids you to even tell somebody, Of the love, the joy, the peace that's found in Christianity. That's against the law. And if you're caught saying that to anybody, sharing that about Christianity, just, hey, there's love, there's joy, there's peace in Christianity. Not even mentioning Jesus' name. If you're caught sharing that, uh, you'll be beaten. They'll beat you. That's the punishment. And after they beat you, if they feel like it, they'll throw you in jail. And you know what? I don't think the United States is far behind that country. It's increasing. Persecution is increasing amongst Christians. What you say when you tell people, you know, that lifestyle is a sin, that's hate speech. Tell people you're a sinner, that's hate speech, man. Who are you to tell me I'm a sinner? Well, it's not me actually, because I'm a sinner too. It takes one and no one. I think that this prayer we're looking at here in Acts 4 should be our prayer in the days that we're living in. Instead of praying for easier circumstances, we ought to be praying that God would enable us to be bolder than ever before. You know, a lot of times we're praying about the circumstances. Lord, please, just change this or that. Lord, please, I just need an easier life. I mean, things are so hard. And I'm guilty. I'm guilty of often praying such things. You know, asking God for favor in this situation. And don't misunderstand me. It's not always wrong to ask for an easier road, a smoother path, or favor in a situation. That's not always wrong. But I think the prayer that God wants to answer is, Lord, please, in these days, enable me to be bold. Give me opportunities where I can share your word with others with great boldness, right? That's a prayer that God has a proven track record of answering. Verse 30, by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant. Why do you think they're praying for more healings, signs and wonders? Well, the answer is because this lame man, he was just healed and a whole lot of people got saved. Right? And in a sense, they've tasted what the Lord can do and they're saying, please, Lord, we want more. We want more of that, Lord. You know, I can tell you that's been my experience. You know, I've seen the Lord do amazing things, great things, and I'm just left wanting more. I don't want to be satisfied. I want more. I want to see God glorified in a greater way, and it's actually normal. When you experience God working, that you're spoiled for ordinary life. You know, you just want more. You're not... You're not going to be satisfied with what the others are settling for. I want more. Verse 31, And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Now, we've seen that they were filled with the Holy Spirit back on the day of Pentecost, when when, uh, the apostles were baptized in the Holy Spirit. And we've been learning that it's not just supposed to be a one-time experience, right? We see, we saw last time in our study together, uh, that in the book of Acts, that Peter and John, they were filled the day of Pentecost. And then verses, uh, chapter 4, verse 8, they were filled again with the Holy Spirit. And Peter began to preach boldly. And now we read it here, they're in a prayer meeting and they were filled with the Holy Spirit again. You know, and what's the number one sign in the book of Acts of being filled with the Holy Spirit? They spoke the word of God with boldness, it says. Paul said in Ephesians 5.18, do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation. The word dissipation, it means emptiness. Or uh, as the New Living Translation puts it, do not be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Paul says, do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Greek makes it clear. It's to be an ongoing, continual event. The Greek says, be continually being filled with the Spirit. We need to position ourselves. We need to gather together and praise the church. We need to pray and ask the Lord to uh, make us bold. We need to pray over our families. We need to pray continually praying and asking God to fill us with his Holy Spirit. Not only to be filled with the Holy Spirit, but seeking to the Lord to use us to bring glory to his name. Right? Empowering us, enabling us to share Christ with the lost in this dark and dying world. The call of the scriptures is a call to all of us for more of the Holy Spirit right? When, when you gave your life to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit took up residence in your heart, right? But each of us need the baptism of the Holy Spirit so that we can be effective witnesses, so we can live a life where there's power working in us and through us. We all need more of the Holy Spirit. And God desires for us to be living a life that's receptive to him, asking for more of his love, more of his power, more of his spirit. I should have asked you to sing that song today, right? But asking for more of his spirit in us and flowing through each of us. Isn't that the relationship you want with God? I mean, isn't that the type of church you want to be part of? God forbid God forbid we just keep on going the way we've gone all these years. God forbid that we're the church of yesterday. We don't don't change anything. We don't change the message. But you know what? God will use us in fresh ways to reach people if we'll just submit ourselves to Him. You know, we should understand God wants to do more. He wants to do more in our midst in a fresh and powerful way. You know, and I'm not looking to make things happen. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not wanting to strive to bring people through the doors. I'm not willing to start new programs so we can just draw more people. That's not what I'm about. But what I'm all about is forgetting the past, the victories that we've had in the past and seeking the Lord for whatever it is that he wants to do today going forward. I believe like never before. Jeff and I even talked about it um, in my office before. God's doing something. I believe God wants to do something radical in our midst right here, this little group. And I pray that we'd be open and asking the Lord to move. We'll finish this chapter next week. I know I'm going a little long, as usual. (laughs) Thanks for your patience. Lord willing, we'll finish it next week. But real quick, look down at verse 32. This move of the Holy Spirit led to greater unity in the church, right? It also led to greater generosity in the church. In verse 33, you see that it led to greater power to be witnesses for Jesus. And in that same verse, you see that it led to greater grace upon them all, right? That's the type of church we want to be part of. I mean, I don't want to speak for you, but I, I trust that you're in it with me, right? That's the type of church I want to be part of. Right, we want to be a church where the spirit is moving with power, power that's never been seen before. The spirit moving in our midst, producing greater unity than we've ever experienced before. You know, the spirit moving and and producing greater generosity, you know, giving of ourselves one to another in a greater way than we've ever seen before. It's what God desires for us. It's what God desires for his church. And it's all connected to prayer. You know, I I would love to lovingly challenge you. You know, come early on Sundays, be an active part of our prayer meeting on Sunday, right before the service. You know, some in our church have never been to a prayer meeting. And, and honestly, just shouldn't be that way. Just shouldn't be that way. And I don't say that to condemn anybody, you know. I pray that you'd hear the Lord's heart for his church, for our church. Do you know who um, R.A. Tory is? R.A. Torrey, he was the co-founder uh, of the Bible Institute of Los Angeles. Have you ever heard of the Bible Institute of Los Angeles? You know it as Biola. That's what Biola stands for, Bible Institute of Los Angeles. R.A. Torrey said at the end of his life, he said, Pray for great things. Expect great things. Work hard to accomplish great things. But above all, pray, pray. He knew that it all goes back to God's people praying. Let's pray. Susie, you want to come on up? You know, just for a moment, as your eyes are closed and your hearts bowed before the Lord, you know, I want to ask you to take just a brief moment And ask God to fill us individually, fill us as a church with the Holy Spirit. And I prayed that the other day, Gere. Okay, that's okay. You know, Jesus said, ask and keep asking. He said, seek and keep seeking. He said, knock and keep knocking. And in that context, Jesus said to ask the Father for the Holy Spirit. And those that ask, he said, would receive. You know, let's just take a minute and just ask the Lord to work, to fill us afresh, (coughs) to fill us to overflowing. But I pray in the name of, of your son, Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you would revive us. You would fill us afresh. You would renew, restore the joy of your salvation to us. Lord, and you would give us vision and passion for community. And that we would be a church, even as small as we are, We would be a church that you could use mightily. Lord, so many stories of just overwhelming odds. And you brought the victory. Lord, who are we? Who's Calvary Chapel Truckee? What are we? Lord, that could do any meaningful thing in this town or in this world. And yet, Lord... Filled with your spirit. Enabled to be bold. God, empowered by you. Lord, Calvary Chapel Truckee can be a force to be recognized. Beating back. Taking territory. Taking, who cares about the territory, the buildings of Truckee? I don't care. But Lord, give us souls. Lord, would you give us souls people that are lost, people that are dying, people that are caught up in drugs and alcohol, people that are caught up in making money, Lord, just all kinds of false gods and idols in their lives, Lord. God, would you pour out your spirit, please, Lord, in your grace. We don't deserve it. But Lord, would you use us to reach this town? Or would you make us the church? You want us to be loving, welcoming, standing together, loving each other, thinking the best of each other. No factions, no schisms, Lord, just unified in you. Would you use us mightily, Lord, for your glory. Enable us. We ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen.